Welcome back, Jeff. Um, today, uh, we're going to take it on a bit of a lighter note. If you recall, uh, do you remember the piece that we did? We we're talking about sell in May, go away. Yeah, a couple, a couple little cliches that we uh, were throwing around in our last episode, yes. So if you might recall further, um, we were casting around for additional cliches. After we talked about sell in May, uh, we, we couldn't think of any. But right afterwards... No, no pressure when we're not on the air, right? So, <laughs> right. you know, all of a sudden a, a flood of them comes into play here. But yes, absolutely. Right. So I thought it might be a little bit fun to give a little bit better treatment to that. Um, after the light bulb clicked on, you came up with some really great cliches. And so I thought it might be fun. We could just kind of unpack them one by one um, and, um, and kind of blow blow some people away probably or, or not. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do, let's do it. So um, the first one, the, the first cliche that is the most common, you know, if you're watching CNBC, you can't go a day without hearing about the bulls and the bears. But... A lot of people, I think, don't know where that comes from, right? Well, I think you almost take it for granted, right? I mean, everybody sits there and talks about bull markets, bear markets, but they don't think about the fact that why in the world are they using animals to begin with to indicate a movement in the market, and why a bull and why a bear? Yeah, nobody knows where it comes from. I mean, uh, you know, Merrill was bullish on America for so many years. But it's a livestock reference. Like, what does it actually come hey, from, right? Merrill even made it their, their symbol of their company yeah. to have a bull. So, yeah. and uh, again, really, there are three kind of stories that are out there that make some semblance of sense. And so the first is actually looking back here in the United States where you had bear traders, uh, bear skin traders, I should really say. Uh-huh. And they would speculate on the price of a pellet. So they would actually, if, if I was a, a bear salesman or bear skin salesman, I might sell you a bear skin in advance of actually getting one from a trapper. And the hope for me then is that the value of it actually went down during that time period. So they abbreviated them down to bears. They used to have a longer name for them, but they they called them bears. And so basically somebody that feels like the price should be going down or rooting for it to go down. So I'm a middleman. I'm not going out and I'm not skinning bears alive. Um, nope. Just buying a middleman, buying a broker in that situation between buyer and seller. And I'm speculating that by selling you this skin in advance, that I can buy it from a trapper cheaper and make the difference between the two. So you're essentially short selling um, a dead animal. That's exactly right. And correct. you literally have no skin in the game. Well, they had some bear skin in the game, I guess. <laughs> but uh, but nonetheless, like so we have that as the thought process behind where the bear name came from. And then if you went back to ancient times, oftentimes what they would do is have bears and bulls fight in a ring for entertainment. So they mm-hmm. were enemies of each other. So if you've got a bear being bad, then a bull must be good. Uh, so the Shakespeare Globe Theater in between acts, they bring out, uh, they, they bring the wild animals out or some hapless Christian or something along those lines. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So on that side, that's the, the one thing that I've heard. The other is just, if you think about how uh, a bull hits, you know, it attacks by thrusting up, mm-hmm. whereas a bear swipes down. That's uh. the second thought process behind it. Again, there's lots of other animals that attack from above and below. So why those two in particular, not 100% sure. And then mm-hmm. the third that I've heard that makes some sense is back in the early 1700s on the London Stock Exchange, they had a bulletin board. And so if it was a big day of trading, you would have a lot of Boltons, okay? Mm -hmm. Which were, they would abbreviate to bull. And if it wasn't a big day, then the Bolton board was bear, not B-E-A-R, but B-A-R-E. 
Oh. And so okay. it just got switched over time that you had a bull or a bulletin or that the bulletin was bare or not uh -huh. a lot of, of buying going on within that market. Where did which you makes hear, some sense yeah. as well. Where did you hear that one? That, uh, the I, third done, one? I did a lot of research online just trying to try to figure it out and uh, you know, that was the last one that I found over, over the time. So yeah. that was a, kind of an interesting one to sit there and find. The good old internet. Okay. All right. So I think we covered this one a little bit, but I think you found a little bit more data on the January effect, right? Well, we've, we've actually done a, a bit of write-up. We did a write-up of, if I believe, if I remember correctly, it was back in 2014 mm -hmm. on the January effect. And really what the January effect is trying to talk about is as January goes, so does the rest of the year. So they're mm -hmm. trying to predict future markets by saying, if January is good, Mm -hmm. then February through December should be good also. Mm -hmm. If January is bad, then look out, February through December should be bad also. The issue is that it's about three quarters correct on the way up, mm -hmm. So, but the markets go up three quarters of the time. And it's a, it is <laughs> yeah. a toss of the coin when it's bad. So if December is negative, about half the time, February through December is negative. So it's not a great predictor there. And then if it's positive, it's about 75, 80% correct on that side. But that's how often the markets go up. So is it a great predictor of? No. Is it a great cliche? Yeah. Does it help people try to feel like they understand the markets a little bit more? Sure. Definitely. I mean, it feels easy, doesn't it? Oh, the market was up in January. Let's look at the internet. It, it, it basically takes you two minutes to make a, a guess about something that's infinitely more complex. Well, and if you think about it in the context of, again, people are always trying to oversimplify what's going on around them. Mm -hmm. There's a cause and effect to everything, right? So therefore, if you can sit there and put something together saying, okay, well, January, we've got momentum going into February, March, and so on. Yes, there's a momentum that's going on, but does that mean that the rest of the year is going to be good? Well, just look at what happened in February, March, uh, in, in this market so far. Yeah. We're starting to see a rally now, but we're still nowhere even close to where we were at the end of January. So <laughs> yeah. you, you don't want to sit there and be taking this as a, a decision-making tool. It's certainly kind of a, a fun one to sit there and look at, but it's not a decision-making for portfolio managers. Yeah, it seems far from obvious in the middle of February. You're looking yeah. back at January going, well, clearly. This, this was going to be a completely amazing year, percent. Hey, all, all 12 months of 2017 were up, so we start off with 2018 on a bang. Why shouldn't the rest of the months be up? Yeah, it must be all right. Pretty simple stuff. Uh, don't catch a falling knife. Now, no, that's a really kind of a vicious one, and it, a very, very kind of visual. I was going to say exactly that, a visual. And the next one that we're going to go through is probably even a little bit more visual than the catching a falling knife. But it's it's kind of making the statement again. I mean, if you've ever been cooking in your kitchen and you mm -hmm. somehow the, the knife slips out of your hands, you wouldn't reach and try to catch it as it was falling to the ground. I mean, well, at least most people wouldn't, right? right? I mean, you, you try to get out of the way of that falling knife, you certainly wouldn't put your foot down there or anything else. Same thing with the stocks and, and a portfolio. So mm -hmm. if you're looking at a particular stock and it is dropping dramatically in value, just because it's cheaper or just because the price is lower does not mean that it's a cheaper stock to sit there and be buying. So we want to mm -hmm. be very careful with how we're viewing when to buy a particular investment because it's going down in price. That's really the warning there. By the same token, though, I could very uh, easily see you know some of these Rambo-type investors. Um, you ask them the question of whether they can catch it, they could look at you dead in the eye and say, yeah, I'm going to catch to catch a falling knife right i mean it, it actually carries some overtones of being very tough and these are the same people that sit there at uh, the cocktail conversation and only tell you about the winners that they have sitting in their portfolio yeah they're not going to sit there and go man was i really stupid i should have never reached <laughs> out and tried to catch that knife because the one time i caught it and i showed you i caught it right but the nine other times that it cut me 
I didn't tell you about that as well. So yeah, look for scars on the hands. Hand. Exactly. I mean, they don't show you their other hand. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So you kind of previewed this, this, this next one, the dead cat bounce. Now, where in the world? I mean, if you love cats, <laughs> that just probably causes the hair to go back on your... Yeah, uh, I was going to say, uh, it seems like you neck. might be locked away with a little animal cruel, cruelty there with, uh, with this one. But uh, it is a phrase. I didn't make it up. <laughs> I'm not here to sit there and say anything else besides it. But basically, if you think about, let's take away dead cat bounce and just talk about how a ball bounces. The thought behind it is if a stock has dropped significantly in price, it hits, let's say, a concrete floor, mm-hmm. it starts to bounce up. People get really excited about the fact that it's starting to move back up in value, only to fall and go further down more than that. It's kind of ties mm-hmm. into the don't catch a falling knife. You want to make sure that there is that you're buying quality companies, you're mm-hmm. buying quality companies if they are falling in value. A lot of times, there's for a reason. If it's breaking the trend of the overall market, so if you've got the market going up and you've got stocks that are dropping, it's normally for a good reason. So you don't want to sit there and buy off of the first bounce, I guess is really the bottom line behind it. We want to make sure that the the knife has settled on the floor mm-hmm. and we can pick it up. Same thing with within the dead cat bounce. We want to see where that second bounce is. Is that second bounce going to go down even further? Is it going to, to bounce at the same level? Typically, bouncing at the same level can turn into a very positive thing as an overall for uh, an investment. That's where you are starting to see a bottoming process. And then when when the ball goes back up that second time, if you actually see it go above that prior point, so a higher high, that's normally a pretty good sign to be investing as well. So anyway, that's uh, that's what a dead count bounce is, is really somebody who falls victim to buying a stock off of the bounce only to see it go further down beyond that. And you know what? I've actually heard the the dead cat bounce. I think that that is a perennial favorite. I hear people actually that that probably don't know a lot about the market. Um, Otherwise, they really love throwing these terms around because it sounds graphic. It sounds visceral and kind of grim and... Well, you got to remember that a lot of the, the English language is based upon sayings that half the people don't even understand. Yeah. So something as simple as talking about the rule of thumb. It, it, the rule of thumb actually goes back to Puritan days where you could beat your wife as long as the stick that you were beating her with wasn't any thicker than the size of your thumb. Now, we use that phrase all the time. I use that with my kids. Yeah. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the beating part of the rule of thumb. <laughs> the rule. Um, I could introduce the rule. They would have fun with that one. But, I mean, we use phrases like that all the time, and you don't even think about it, what its true meaning was. Mm-hmm. I bet you if people understood what the rule of thumb meant, they probably wouldn't use that phrase in today's society. Yeah. Well, here's an easy one, okay? Don't fight the tape. I mean, this is a very financial phrase. I don't hear people use it uh, certainly as much as the other ones, but I've, I know we use it around here. Yeah, I mean, really what you're talking about there, <laughs> tape meaning price movement, so to not fight the tape, really what you're talking about is to play along with the momentum of the market. And the ticker so, tape, right? Yeah. So yeah. If, if we're talking about, yeah, so in old days, and when I talk about price, prices were printed on the ticker tape. Mm-hmm. You would, if you've seen stuff from the early 1900s, you see someone looking through the ticker tape, looking for they're looking for their stock price, and, and they're going through it to find when the last trade and what price it was trading. So we got tape movement, price movement. What we're really looking at there is if the markets are going down, why would you fight that? If they're going up, why would you fight that? So mm-hmm. it's really about trying to be correct based upon the overall momentum of the stock market. And, and you're a trend watcher, right? I mean, not always a follower. Absolutely. You, you have to be aware of the ticker tape, and that's that's the, the genesis of and that. And we can talk about that with markets. We can talk about that with sectors. We can talk about it with industries and so on. I mean, for example, we saw in 2014 the stock market do just fine. 
Mm-hmm. But for example, energy got absolutely kicked to the curb. Right. So you want to be watching not only what's going on on the broad-based markets, but also what's going on and having impact mm-hmm. on different segments of your portfolio. Buy the rumor, sell the news. Mm-hmm. That's You're going to have to explain that one. Well, that's a, it's actually kind of a popular trading uh, technique that many people do. The, the thought behind it is that there's often disappointment in the news or mm-hmm. the, the news is not sensationalized enough to get people really excited behind it. So hmm. you buy the rumor, the, the price of the particular investment that you're running up goes up and up and up. If you've ever seen a company that's reported good earnings but still seen the stock price drop dramatically, okay, yeah, that's kind of what they're talking about here too. So you sell before mm-hmm. you know, sell at the news. You basically ride the wave of euphoria before the real news is out on a particular investment. So there's this kind of what I'm sensing in a lot of these is there's this kind of tension inherent in the stock market, and that tension is kind of growing as we move towards something, and then boom, once the news comes. Then, then there's the kind of the event, the ultimate letdown. Yeah. it was just news, exactly. the, the basic I mean, news in a lot of cases. Sometimes, if you think about your birthday, all of a sudden you got this this present in front of you. You open it, eh, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, <laughs> yeah. so again, unless it's you know something that it was beyond your wildest imagination, especially if it's been talked up a lot. A better way of looking at maybe it would be like a movie and it's been really talked up, and then you go see it and you're like, mm, you know, wasn't that great? Well. It was all about expectation. Right. And it's been setting a false expectation of where it should possibly be going. And it makes a lot of sense in the society that we live in. Everybody building towards earnings season and then, oh, that was it. Then we're waiting for this next one. Um, It makes tons of sense. Um, And actually within the theme, the next one, bull markets climb a wall of worry. Now, that's kind of a complicated one. That's one that I had to kind of dust out because it's not one that, that I've heard for a really, really, really long time. I mean, and... Maybe I'm aging myself a little bit with being in the business here, but uh, you know, in the '80s, the markets went up starting in 1982, and they built and built and built up. And uh, yes, you had the '87 stock market crash, you had the '90 correction uh, that was down about 10 percent. '94 was not a great year as well, um, but people were very skeptical in the early stages of the '80s that the markets were going to go up. We kind of joke around here a little bit. There were some, uh, we've had a couple of clients that come to us like, I'm an equal opportunity worrier. I'm worried when the markets are going up, if it's a sustainable thing for it to be able to do. And if the markets go down, well, then I was right that I should have been skeptical to begin with. Hmm. Climbing a wall of worry is talking about how you're still, you know, the wounds may have healed, but they're still fresh in the mind. And the scars are very visible with what's gone on during the Great Recession mm-hmm. and even what went on in 2011 mm-hmm. and what we saw going on, obviously, earlier this year. We've seen it happen yeah. multiple other times. 2015 was a tough year for a lot of people. So a lot of people are not willing to sit there and say, hey, bull market. Sure. we got a secular bull market. Well, we do. And mm-hmm. they're having to be forced to climb a wall of worry because they're not convinced that the scars won't open up again. Well, I mean, as an investment advisor, and as I've said before, I love behavioral finance. It's just such a perfect one because that visual is so true, isn't it? Is is that despite the fact that we're we're, we're worried, you, you have to put in the effort. It's effortful. You have well, to climb and climb. And think about what we've talked about: how bad emotion is when it comes to investing. Think about we've talked about this multiple times: geopolitical risks. Mm-hmm or anything else that's hitting the media and which scares people to invest. Right. So right now, I mean, all the talk about trade wars, right? All we're hearing is that maybe they're not going to be that big of a deal after all. Mm-hmm. Things about North Korea. Again, we just we sat there and said it was only saber rattling. Guess mm-hmm. what? It's only been saber rattling. 
So there's a lot of other things that are going on with having instant news, all the mm -hmm. other things that are kind of put in your face that are also helping contribute to this wall of worry as well. Yeah. Um, now, the next one is another one. It's, it's probably one of my favorites. The market can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. Yeah, that, that so. is actually my favorite phrase in the markets. And really what it's talking about is insisting that you're correct and everybody else is wrong. It's really talking about how arrogance kills in this market. It's about thinking that you're right and everybody else is wrong. Then you could, it can feel good, right? I mean, this is like one of the most seductive <coughs> powers of, I think, investing is, is you can speculate and you can, you can build a premise around just about any group of numbers. Yeah, we could spend the rest of the afternoon talking about why the market should be going up or going down. Mm -hmm. If nobody else agrees with us, then we're wrong. Yeah. And that's really what this is trying to talk about is that, you know, it's hard enough to be right. It's hard enough to be right at the right time. Right. And so to sit there and have the arrogance to believe that you're correct and everybody else is wrong is really what separates people from their money. And oftentimes it's people that are extremely educated, that have rationalized why certain things should be going on, and they're, the markets disagree with them. A perfect yeah. example of that, and again, we've always talked about not being political. So again, we're purple, but clients of ours that are blue, when Trump was elected, that night I was fielding calls. I was back east and that night I was fielding phone calls from a few people that were saying, I want to go completely to cash first thing tomorrow morning. Was that decision based upon emotion? Was that uh, something that was actually, you know, they thought the markets were going to drop dramatically as a direct result of Trump being elected. Right. And, and primarily their belief system was, That's exactly was, right. was the only thing driving that. I've actually got a really good one for you. You remember back when we worked in the city, we worked across the street from a hedge fund where I had a close friend. And this was like your perennial bear. Uh, mm -hmm. To get back into uh, one of the others. He was a bear permanently. And he was shorting the market all through 2012, 2013, 2014. I used to quote this at him, right? Because as he's shorting, he's paying the VIG for that. He's basically borrowing money. And he's having to pay the whole way down. Oh, and he's yeah. losing money and compounding his concerns because he's got to be right. And you know where he got his idea from is his firm shorted the subprime housing market during the financial crisis, which is one of the most dangerous things because he was looking for that, that perfect trade for years. And it wasn't really uh, rational. Look at something like long-term capital management. Look at uh, Orange County, where they made a huge bet on being correct about where interest rates were moving back in the early 90s. Right. There is a absolute cemetery of firms that sat there and, and basically bet the farm on being correct uh, rather than the way that we manage money, which is being, I'd much rather be partially correct than completely wrong. Sure. We do not go into something being married to it. And oftentimes you, the people that uh, are being irrational are the ones that are going to be, again, separated and divorced from their money. Right. You don't fight the tape. You don't, you don't fight, fight the tape. Fed. Right. That's exactly right. Um, okay, we're, we're up against time almost. Uh, we've got sell and may go away. We did an entire piece on it. Uh, but just obviously, we're on the other half of, of May, almost through it. Well, perfect example. I mean, we were seeing a strong May so far. Uh, again, one of the things that I think we talked about in the last session was four of the last five Mays through November or through October, I should say, have been not only they've been positive, and they've outperformed the latter six months that they're really comparing themselves to. So yes, if you look at 
over the last 70 years, as the selling may go away, uh, where's the performance been found? It's really been found really in November through April, but you can't manage money that way. You can't sit there. I mean, think about how many people would have fired us if we would have just decided five years ago, we're starting a brand new company and our company is going to be open six months of the year and it's going to be closed the other six because you don't have to manage money May through October. And, and you know what's perfect? Um, what I can do here is I can plug the website, right? Because didn't you just lay this out in graphic detail? Yeah. I think there was just a white piece that you put together and, and it is actually kind of startling to see how much better it is, um, to be fair, um, if, you, if you're investing in the fall first part of the year yep. it does over the years exhibit sort of an effect yeah we actually didn't put that into this particular white paper where it was more talking about the impacts of just the last five years and what right. we would have missed in the process of but yeah it is staggering over the last 70 plus years of mm -hmm. what the differences are so there is absolutely no doubt of it there is some seasonality to our economy mm -hmm. uh, that all being said it is not a perfect science and there have been far too many times in which the May through October has done perfectly fine, if not better than the subsequent six months that follow. Right. I mean, you're still making money. It's not as if you're going to be uh, automatically compensated for sitting this one out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, leave. the other part of it is you got to look at some of the extremes also, like where bad things really, really happen. I mean, even if you look at the financial crisis, the worst of the months was October. October. If yeah. you look at what happened um, October 19th, 1987. Sure. Yeah. Go back to the 1920s. When did the roaring 20s coming to a crashing end was in October 1929. So yeah. you've got a few of these extreme situations also that don't really help the numbers very much. So if you're listening to this at home, please Please don't take this as a sign that we're going to always disinvest in October. <laughs> yeah, no. no. October is actually, if you remove those three situations, it's actually been a very healthy month to be involved with the market. Yeah, and, and probably the start to the healthiest months, uh, again, from a seasonal standpoint, yeah. that you're likely to see. So it is interesting how, you know, it's lies, damned lies and statistics. That's exactly right. Statistics, you can crucify yourself on them. Well, even just like a deciding on when to start your statistics and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the things that, that are out there are half-truths. Then they're used uh, in order to sit there and they come to their own conclusion and then they back their way into it. So... Uh, what good is that if you're just doing it in order to prove a point? Not real good. Not real good, especially to uh, to base a strategy on. Um, it's 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 almost counterproductive. Well, you're you're almost at that point lying to yourself, or you're not. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jeff. Well, that was pretty good. Um, actually, I can't think of anything else. Um, any final notes before we uh, take off for today? Nope. Uh, I think that uh, coming up, we're going to get a, a little bit more into earnings season. We're going to get a little bit more into some of the things that are, are record-breaking of what we're seeing in the current market environment. So stay tuned, and we'll look forward to, to speaking with you next week. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Polaris Greystone Financial Group LLC is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Polaris Greystone does not offer legal or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only 
only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Greystone Financial Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Greystone Financial Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.